Kia ora mai nā tato. Welcome back to our podcast with my co-host Phil Quinn as we look forward to the Featherston Booktown Festival which will be held from the 12th to the 14th of May. Joining me this afternoon is one of our one of the guests who will appear and that's well-known publisher Roger Steele. Kia ora and welcome Roger. Tēnā koe, Shane. Roger Tell us about your career, how it formed and how you came about to be a well-known, respected publisher of works. I was making a perfectly healthy living as a teacher and educational type consultant back in the 90s, but I came across Hone Tūwhari at a tangi and lost a long story, but basically it led me to find that he had a lot of work unpublished and it was rotting and mouldering away, so... The job fell to my shoulders, and while I was working on Honia's book, I was advised that uh, Jackie Baxter, J.C. Sturm, yes. had a manuscript which he'd sent around the place and it had been ignored. So I said, gee, well, I'd be interested to look at that because I knew Jim Baxter a little bit. And so I thought I'd just have a look at that out of for a nosy. And uh, I, I read it. I read the first poem. I read the second. I read the 40th and 50th. And I rang her up and I said, Jackie, I'm not a publisher, but this is, this is excellent. I'll bring this out no matter what. And so that was our first book that we produced, and uh, Honey's book was, this, in fact, the second. It's, uh, I'm, uh, Honey Tufare, I met him uh, in, must have been 1984. I was still at school. He was doing school, you know, school visits at the time. One of Aotearoa's most renowned poets, historic, from a historic perspective, but was really unable to make a decent living out of it. Uh, Roger, was part of that issue the, the lack of access to publishing on publishers? No, not really. It's yeah. a, poetry is a small market. Yes. And it's never going to see you. You're really lucky if you sell more than mm. two or 300 copies of a book yeah. of poetry. So you don't do it for money. Yeah, you have another job. Honey was um, a full-time boilermaker for a long time. Yes, he time. was. At the railway well, works. Um, yeah. Nowadays, it's a little bit easier because um, it's a little bit easier to get worldwide publication. And uh, also, uh, there are other sort of side hustles you can do in terms of blogs and YouTube channels and things like that. But no, it's, it's a small market, New Zealand. And um, there are, luckily today, there are quite a few writing fellowships which didn't exist then. In fact, there's a two funny fellowship yes, being set up at his former crib in South Otago. So, mm. yeah, it was a hard, hard yard then. It's not a lot easier now because New Zealand's a small country, but per capita, I think we, we read and write as well or better than a lot of other countries. So, you know, uh, the outlet for this quarter is around the Featherston uh, Booktown Festival. Have you, have you been to the Booktown Festival before, Roger? I, I, was, um, I was a speaker last year just mm. about my public career, a 25-or-so-year career in publishing, and then I was also fortunate to be convening a panel of some of the up-and-coming radical, independent new presses, and that was most inspiring to meet new people, new kids on the block, as it were. And this year I'm just going back to convene a panel on J.C. Sturm. That's my only role this year, although it's a wonderful place to hang out and... uh, all sorts of literary and other meetings happen there, so it's a it's a great place, buzzy place to be. Are these events important to the publishing industry, Roger? Uh, this is the fairest one. I think is 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 the most exciting. Um, mm. The big cities have always got uh, literary festivals. Christchurch has got a good one. 
uh, Auckland, um, a wonderful festival, but Featherston takes it to a different audience. Um, it's become a bit of a destination town. Yes. And just as an example, in, in England and Scotland, there are towns there which are mm. devoted to books, and they become magnets for people who love books and love reading and writing. And uh, Featherston set itself up in that way. So it's an exciting alternative fringe festival which manages to attract absolutely mainstream uh, top-line people. But, you know, I, I live here in Tamaki Makoto, and, if there, and I've been to uh, the Auckland Writers Festival, which is a, is a great event. But unless you're, unless you're into that, it can be swallowed up by what's happening uh, in and around Tamaki Makoto on that weekend. But that certainly isn't the case with Featherston uh, Booktown Festival. People will know that you're there for the event. They welcome to you at the event, and it's a huge gig, not only for the event itself, but for the town and for the region. Oh, the town is packed out with people, and you just every every fifty meters or so, you come across somebody else who's interesting, or that either that you know them or you want to go and hear them. There's pubs and cafes, and there's events dotted around the town, and the the main Anzac Hall area is just uh, a buzz of excitement. So it's more, it's 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 friendly, relaxed. I think the big city ones, by perforce, have to be a little bit more uh, organised and in flashy venues mm. and. Uh, Perhaps a little bit more restrained. So there's a nice casual buzz around Featherston. Like most industries, Roger, you would have seen massive changes since you've published the second works of Hone Tufare. Of course, we've got the uh, digital revolution. Has it hurt publishing or has it helped publishing? This, this bit of both, really. I, I, I don't, I welcome it. It doesn't worry me at all. If people want to go overseas with a a Kindle or a, a iPad or whatever, and um, take it dirty books with absolutely no weight on their baggage. Well, who can blame them? But you know, most people still say they they still prefer to sit back in an armchair and um, have a book and not off and read it in the bath or whatever. So I think no, I, I predict books will be around in fifty, hundred years. Uh, there's just that wonderful as they have been around for you know five hundred or more years. So there's just that wonderful feeling of turning the pages and being able to put it down and requires no electricity. Yeah, that, that, so the digital thing is reaching new audiences. It makes people read more. So people, I think, are probably better read these days because they can, um, you know, they don't have to just wait for the pile on the side of the bed to topple over to work out what they're reading next. They can select and <laughs> load, up, load up their devices. No, it's good. I like the digital revolution. I, I'm not, I'm totally... Uh, no clue whatsoever about Instagram and TikTok, and don't ask me about that because I've stayed out of that arena myself. Phil, yeah, and Roger, it's uh, Phil Quinn here, Shane's co-host today. I I'm just, just, um, Kyoto, were you talking about Hone Tufare? Yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, just now, yeah. He, what a, I just got to say, he, I, I, I wasn't aware of that connection. He is literally my favourite mm. poet. I mean. No Ordinary Sun is, one, is an yeah. absolute masterpiece for the ages, I reckon. But he got better Such and better, an... I reckon. The more he, got in, more he got into just being free to express himself and his lust for life, his lust for kaimoana and the land and women and, and politics. Be- beer? He just beer? Was, got better and better. Amazing voice. I was surprised about how relaxed you, you were about, about the impact of digital because the perception I, I, in my experience... At least the perception is that publishing's been dealt uh, sort of hammer blow by the digital stuff in the same way that print media has or 
even you know travel agents or whatever. But you feel that it's a, it's a more mixed picture that they have that the uh, that overall you think the print printed books purchased in bookshops, if you like the old way of doing things, which I think all three of us probably like doing still. You think there's there's legs in that yet? You're you're confident well, that will you, persevere. You go to a bookshop, it's just such an exciting place. You know, I could spend literally a million dollars if I wandered into Unity Bookshop in Wellington tomorrow, um, or even Paper Plus out here in, on Carpety. They're just wonderful places. They're just teeming with ideas. And, you know, just lately, like I just listened to Sam Neal on the on the radio this yes. morning, and he sent his book off to three publishers. He got calls, three calls within a day saying, we want it, we want it. They were clamoring for it. Clamoring for it. Mm. I just read Ruby Tui's book the other day, and that's just been churning off the press, reprint after reprint, because it's reaching new, in her case, reaching new audiences. So um, and that some of our biggest successes have been like that. Like we, we sold a book of poetry, we well over 10,000 copies. It was Glenn Cahoon's playing God and it was about uh, being a doctor and the critics said oh, I won't work who wants to read a book about poems about medicine well it turns out tens of thousands did same as Sam Hunt he's still selling in big numbers um, so the right book at the right time and an author perhaps will go out and meet the people uh, as Sam Honey and, and Glenn did people love it uh, New Zealand's small enough where you can actually get to meet these people and go and see them in Featherston or Auckland or wherever from a publisher's perspective, uh, Roger, what genres are booming? What's you know what what's really working at this point in time? Uh, fiction is, hasn't got any easier, but mm. a, a good bit of fiction, like uh, Better the Blood" by the young guy who's been um, Bennett, who's been shortlisted in the Ockhams this year, mm. proves that I've always believed that detective and crime is, is going to continue to be good. Memoir is, is still good. This, this, like, you know, the topic that I'm talking about at the Fittleston Book Town is J.C. Sturm. Well, you know, no one's done a biography of her. Mm-hmm. So biography's good because people love reading about other people's lives. Memoir itself is good. Poetry ticks over in New Zealand. I don't personally know anything about the um, fantasy and science fiction genre, but, you know, you just got to look at TV to, and, and, and films to see that that's popular. So nothing has really changed, but I would say probably non-fiction is terrific. Non-fiction, whether it's factual type books, not reference books, are still good. You know, illustrated books about places to go and things to cook and what to grow in your garden and so on will never go out of fashion. And the thing about books is that, you know, everybody has one birthday and one Christmas every year. Yes. And, you know, a lot of people think, this, what better present, what more lasting present. Because I give books to my children, and I know they're going to be passed on to my grandchildren. There's only one in our in our fare, If uh, you get a a present from Uncle Shane or Shane the mate or Kuro Shane, it's a book. Yeah, Just, yeah. So no, books have got a great future. What about what are you staying as a publisher? What isn't working that perhaps did work in in, in a certain era, and what what's not working for you and for publishers and for authors? Well, this is not a kind example, mm. but um, we do get a lot of people who get to 80 or 90 and they think, all right, I'll finally, <laughs> I'll finally get my life story out. Yes. And <laughs> what they've forgotten is that really they were at their peak in the, when they were 60 or 70. Yes. And uh, one heck of a lot of the potential readership has fallen away. Mm-hmm. Or is it? At the very, let's be, to be kind, isn't buying books anymore. So if a person is going to do a a memoir or write what they want to say about 
meaning of life and all that, they should do it while they're in their prime, really. So it's it's sad to tell someone who's reached 80 or 90 that, well, the market's shrunk from being 1,000 copies to being 100 copies. Yeah, well, you had you had one shot in your locker and you left it 20 years too late. That's that's a hard yeah. message to hear, isn't it? But, but when it comes to people shopping manuscripts that they've just conjured up from their own imagination, their own creativity, but don't have an established name, don't have a record of publication, well, are there chances of breaking through? I mean, they've never been great, but are they less than they even were previously? Can talent I, I, still find a way? I think, I, think, I think they're better because uh, each time I look at, for instance, the Book Awards as one measure, there's always two or three new publishers who have just, you know, new new publishers on the block. So the, one of the good things about the publishing industry is it, doesn't, it just takes a computer and a little bit of knowledge to set up. So if somebody's yeah, having yeah. trouble getting accepted by the biggies and the, you know, the, inter- the multinationals or whatever, or maybe they've been turned away by the university presses, because you know, all publishers only publish like mm. one in a hundred of the things they get sent. But the, anybody, any small collective of people can set up a, their own press, and so long as they get their manuscript edited by somebody else and gets a, get it attractively formatted by someone who can work a work um, InDesign or a layout program, then they can they can print a hundred copies in, inexpensively, low risk, you know, about 10, yeah. ten bucks a copy. That's a thousand dollars invested, and and if it if they if it flies well, they're away, and then they can say, look, I've had this many sales. So sometimes those sort of people are picked up by the larger publishers. Other times they carry on as, as independents, and that's how heck of a lot of us got started. Roger, you don't need to name it, and maybe this hasn't occurred in, in terms of your working life, but have you ever published something knowing that it wasn't going to sell, but you personally liked it? Oh, <laughs> I've always been on the fringe of, of the publishing industry because yeah. I only publish things that I like, yes. and I don't give a damn whether it costs sales five copies or 50 copies or, or 500 copies. You know, I just publish on the value of the, that individual person or the individual work that they've produced. And um, one of the best books I ever produced, I think I did produce two copies of it. Then the author died and the family buried it. But I'm very glad it's there. For, it'll be kept in some record for all time. I'm very much interested in locking down aspects of Aotearoa New Zealand culture and just making sure that they're available, whether, even if it's just in libraries. It's, at least it's going to be available for future generations. Now, I, I've always thought whether a New Zealand book is good, bad, or indifferent, if it's published, each library throughout Aotearoa should buy at least one copy. So what's that, 600, 600 copies, 700, maybe 1,000 copies? What are you talking about, libraries? Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, you know, I've always thought oh, that well, if a New Zealand... Libraries' budgets are unfortunately... Yes not expanding mm. so you can't rely on libraries and uh, no there's only you know, there's only 30 main towns in New Zealand so if you average yeah. so on average five copies you're only, you're only yeah. just into the three figures so I wouldn't rely on libraries I think it's more important to get guerrilla type networks going uh, people that are just producing their book and getting their friends to, to push it for them and mm. uh, young writers should get out to every literary event they could go to and get on every blog they can go to and and have their own website and have their own blog and just promote themselves to a, to a large extent to get themselves noticed. So in terms of guerrilla publishing, etc., do you see that as as the trend over the next 10 years? If, if, if it is guerrilla publishing, any other trends that you see developing for you as, as a publisher in the industry that you're in? The, no, the, your standard 
your classic books that the people are producing now on essential parts of culture or whatever, they, they will be still around. We'll still need those, whether it's a collection of books about nature or, as I said, gardening or cooking or whatever. They'll always need those. But what is different is that um, it has become economic to produce 50 or 100 copies. It didn't used to be. You used to have to think of terms of... Um, you know, 500, a publisher, a mainstream publisher thinks of a book being economic if it sells two or 3,000 copies. That's only the amount you need to, to pay the wages. But if you're doing it as a, as a pop-up, um, then you, you've got to, you're keeping your day job, but you're producing 100 copies and then you sell those, so you produce another 100 and so on. So there's a marvellous firm in Wellington which is really specialising in, in helping first-time authors and independent authors, and they're having some terrific results. And sometimes, you know, uh, as you said, you've talked about the, the you talked about the Fano that only you know that published basically for themselves and buried it, buried it with their with their loved ones. Sometimes it's just about the satisfaction of getting a book done, isn't it? Oh, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Um, the, the, the number of pictures I've got of an author holding their their first book in their hands and just looking at it and saying, "Wow, you know." It's here, and it's produced to a high standard. It's very, very important that uh, whether you produce one or a thousand books, um, that it gets edited well and gets designed well. Uh, the, the death of publishing is when you get these books that people bring out on their own and they don't get anybody to check them, and they're full of errors, they're hard to read, they look ugly, and yeah. actually, that actually puts people off reading books. So that's totally. And it's, it's, the design, the cover design, is a dead giveaway, isn't it, Roger? I mean. When, when it's one of those ham-fisted, you know, do-it-yourself efforts, they really let themselves down in the, on, the, on the little bit of investment they would need for cover design. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not going to name the book, but there's a, there is a, a series of books that's uh, published uh, that people will know, and I just think that the, 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 cover, the quality of the cover is excellent. <laughs> Call me fussy, I don't know what, but, and, and, you know, it's cost forty forty five dollars for for this book and it's um but the 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 quality of the pages is I just think it, they it? could have could have put a more effort into printing because you know the the first book was a phenomenal international success so it was only a matter of time before the second book but I just don't know why they didn't put more effort into decent publishing and and and, and decent pages well it's a partnership if an author um it's produced a book that they're very proud of. They should, when they're talking with their publishers, they should say, look, I want it to look like this. I want it to mm. be of this standard. They shouldn't accept There's a lot of people have gone to even some of the big, classy international publishers and been amazed to have pictures printed on absorbent you know, paper that's a bit like toilet paper. Yes, exactly. And pretty low-grade yeah. low, low grade layout, or sometimes no pictures at all, and yet the book is about things that you want to be looking at. So you have yeah, to, yeah. whether a big or a small publisher, an author should say what they want. And they shouldn't compromise. But Roger, because the the book, the, the, and you touched on it earlier, that the, the, the bookshop experience is, remains unique, right, and irresistible. Uh, and a lot of that is the, is the aesthetics of books, right? The look and feel, the way it feels in your hands, the way the paper feels between your fingers. You know, it is part of the the, the book that you, that I just can't get from a Kindle. Personally, you know, that's I'm right. probably too old. But, but to me, that's, if anything, that's more important now than it's ever been for printed if, books. Yeah, that old famous old comedian Jerry Seinfeld said that the bookshop is one of the best signs to, that 
uh, people are still thinking in the world. Yeah. They're a sign of civilization. You can't go into a bookshop and not be impressed by 100 pieces of creativity and a 1,000 new ideas. And, um, yeah. yeah, they do get let down sometimes by the production. It's made too hard to read, too long, too expensive or whatever. So it, it's still a work of art to, to get a, a book right, to have a feel, flop open in the hand and to be easy to read and not be tripped up by too many errors and, and or, or, or dense passages. Now, um, yes. I, I did want to end our quarter or today, our conversation today, Roger, by asking you this question. What was the 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 best book you've, you've read of recent times that you weren't responsible for publishing? Oh, well, I'd probably say Ruby Tui's book. Yeah. It was, um, I've heard amazing things about that. Oh. It, was, it was lively. It was easy to read. It was frank. She comes from a um, you know, non-traditional uh, background, a rugged background, mm. and she's she's uh, not had a traditional life in any way. But there's, there's lessons in there that any young person could take on board, and she makes a point of rounding them home gently at the at the end of each chapter. She, she's funny and she, she's she's inspiring, and she's marketing it well. So that's that's a good example of a book that's really hit the spot. It's hit the hit the zeitgeist, the spirit of the totally. times. Yeah, and not, 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 I mean, because sports, sports memoirs are not, you know, famous for being, you know, edgy, confronting, well-written, or anything of that nature. But I've heard nothing but rapturous praise for Ruby Tui's book. I bought the book, uh, well, I didn't. My 14-year-old daughter bought the book about six weeks ago. It's probably passed through 15 to 20 hands. Amazing. And, and That's in incredible. That, in that time, they, uh, my, my daughter told me that they, they read over each, each other's sh- shoulders when they're, um, when they're reading the book, and it's just something that has connected. I think it's just its rawness, its frank, frankness, and also she just doesn't take herself too serious. Yeah, no, well, totally. well, Ross, Taylor's, Ross Taylor's memoir was yes. good too, and, and it confronted, both books confront some of the less celebrious sides of New Zealand society. So, yeah, they both, yeah. Had, both had honesty and, uh, again, well-written, well-researched, well, well and no, no, no heavy passages in them. So, uh, no, they're both good. But that's just sports books. Um, mm. yeah, detective books are good too, and crime books and... Uh, you know, I love I love adding books to my library that I'm going to refer to from time and time and again. So now books have got a great future. Okay, Roger, I think I think you've given uh, Booktown attendees a lot of really practical advice if they're sitting on a manuscript. If it's an autobiography and they're in their eighties, maybe they've left <laughs> the dash too late. But from what I hear from you, opportunities are there. There, the 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 economics uh, of publishing books in small quantities to test the market is actually more accessible than it was in the past. So if someone's sitting on a manuscript, perhaps don't hassle you when you're having breakfast or coffee, at least not all the time, but give it a go. Is that the, is that the message to people who have been sitting on a get, creative get, project get they want to get out there? Get other people to read it. Get other people's feedback. Because yes. that's the first thing a publisher does, is send it out, yeah, a book that seems promising, send it out to three readers. Well, you know, if if even one of those readers turns it down, it's probably good night to that book. But if if, if a, an author has sent their manuscript out, uh, and maybe let's just say it's a book of poems, and send out sixty poems, and tell me which of the five that you drop from the book. You know, don't just say, "Oh, yes, this is lovely." Because uh, you know, in the end, people have to part out twenty, thirty bucks when they buy a book, or even more, and that's the real test. Will people pay money for it? 
So yeah. Um, yeah. The, the more the more it's been through several pairs of eyes, the better chances it has. And if if it if it looks like it needs a lot of editing, a lot of culling, a lot of rethinking, then it goes into the publisher's too hard basket, and that basket pretty soon becomes a pile or a mountain. Mm. And uh, yeah. Kilda. Brilliant, brilliant. Hey, great, great advice, and I look forward to seeing you and other panellists, other protagonists, authors, artists, musician, musicians, uh, attendees at the Featherston Town Book Festival to be held on the 12th to the 14th of May, 2023. Kilda Roger.